Hi, I'm Peter Sarsfield. And I'm Varun Rao. And this is the Podcast. On this episode, we will be talking about American politics with Alfred Putnam, who's Rick Santorum's former campaign manager. This is part one of two of our interview. Hi, Mr. Putnam. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. Happy to. Yeah, so I was wondering if we could start with talking about how you first got involved in politics. Uh, it's a, hard to remember. It goes back so long. Um, I, I was walking around my neighborhood with a group of people. I recruited my neighborhood being Chestnut Hill in Philadelphia um, for Nixon in 68. Nixon's the one. Um, and we, we did volunteer work uh, for that campaign. And I think Thatcher Longstreth in 1971, you know, I was a high school kid. Why, why shouldn't I? <laughs> you know, it's, it's like volunteering. I was an intern at uh, Senator Hugh Scott's office, I think one, one year but between maybe my sophomore and junior year or junior and senior year at Chesnell Academy. Um, the, the Philadelphia office, I was not worthy enough to go to Washington, God knows. But anyway, I got into various campaigns that way. Um, and then it went off to college and did other uh, useful things until uh, real life politics came along. And I guess my first, well, serious involvement at some level, I was the secretary for people for John Hines, which was the corporation that ran John Hines money as a secretary. He was the first candidate to actually have a corporation um, handle his contributions and money as, a, as opposed to do it with a person. And the reason he had a corporation was because he had a lot of money and he wanted some protection. So anyway, we had people for John Hines and I had that. And then uh, John died in that accident and we had to wind that down and give away all the money that we had to other candidates. Uh, and then the one after that was uh, uh, Rick Santorum, who um, ultimately got John's seat. Um, and that was, uh, so I was active for him back in 94. So you originally were a supporter of Kasich in 2016. And when I, when I think between like Kasich and Trump's, uh, they can be pretty different. And I'm also told you're a Trump supporter. So like. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I was, um, as we say, I lost. Yeah. <laughs> we, that, that happens sometimes. I lost in the, we lost in the primary. My wife was a Rubio supporter. Um, she too lost um, and Trump won. And uh, a number of my friends says, well, she said to me, you know, surely you're not going to vote for Trump. And um, the answer is that I've always voted for the Republican candidate and I keep doing that. I, How does like, Trump feel different than past like Republican candidates that you've voted for or does oh, oh yeah no he's a clearly different creature um and there's sort of two issues there I I think you have to first consider the personality um which is not uh which a lot let's put it this way a lot of people don't find particularly attractive um and other people I guess do um, but there's clear difference on issues, too. I mean, I think that um, Trump has an appeal to uh, Trump's willing to spend money in ways that I think 
all of my previous candidates were fiscally responsible. I don't think Trump is particularly fiscally responsible. And I think he's has an appeal to um, uh, blue collar workers that we in the party have often tried to find ways to expand our appeal. Um, and uh, he did it better than any anybody else. I mean, Reagan got some, I guess. So, you know, he you know, he's different and uh, um, has brought has changed American politics, I, I think, permanently. So you mentioned working on Rick Santorum's campaign beforehand. Yeah. And mm-hmm. was that the uh, most recent campaign you worked on or have you worked on others afterwards? Um, I think I would describe my work on others as basically just some fundraising, Peter. I mean, it's not um, when you talk about when you start taking hours and you go to meetings and you, um, I mean, with Santorum, uh, I'd go down to Washington and there'd be, you meet with various people and maybe you're talking about how things place and you sit down with the candidate. Maybe I remember having dinner with him at the early on in 94 um, before he was sort of well known mm-hmm. uh, on the Marion Cricket Club, I, he he said to me, you know, I just got to run even because I'll bring other things. He's he was a classic beginning, a, a precursor maybe of the world. He was considerably more conservative. Mm-hmm. And I guess when you were young and uh, just uh, doing like I guess small work for like Nixon, kind of I guess going like maybe door to door. I think you said. And just like to today, what, what do you think has changed most in political campaigns? Well, um, it's interesting, actually. Um, money has <laughs> changed a lot in political campaigns. I think in 1968 or 71 or um, even 76, although I speak this, we didn't think that much about money. I mean, there was money raise, raising operations. Um, but uh, you figured you're, you're going to be able to raise what you, what you need if you have a chance. And if you don't have a chance, you're not going to be raising anything anyway. So that's at least that's the way I remember it. Now, maybe there. But anyway, uh, by the time Rick ran in 94, he, I remember his, him telling me, you don't understand. We're going to need to raise six million dollars. And of course, today you'd need that to run for Congress. Well, maybe. Maybe you could run for Congress with less, but um, that's not a statewide number. I get the leading guy what, in, on the Democratic side raised $130 million in South Carolina and lost. But I don't think people in politics care about controlling the amount of money anymore. My daughter was uh, running for Congress um, in, in what I think was the seventh and is now the fifth district in 2018. And it, as it was then configured, you know, she talks to the Republican Congressional Committee and they, they offer her over a million dollars. I mean, it's no, it's no problem to go get money because that's a good winnable district. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court stepped in, as you may or may not know or remember, in 2018 and redrew all the districts. And all of a sudden she found herself sitting in the fifth district, which is an unwinnable district. I mean, the district went from maybe plus one Republican to plus 15 Democrat, maybe even was a little more than that. Um, and, and so how much money could she raise then? Zero. I mean, daddy could have given her some money, but daddy's not, <laughs> daddy's not an idiot. I mean, you know, that's, <laughs> not, that's, 
people don't give money to and and she dropped out went back to the united states attorney's office because uh, you know a lot of districts in this country as you know are not winnable by the other side would, don't would, know. would you describe the huge increase of money in campaigns as largely positive or do you think it's kind of uh, negative occurrence i i for the most part think it's negative but i i don't know um because mm-hmm. at some level the question is if you can find a way that you don't have to worry too much about money. In other words, if you're awash in money, there's so many, there's only so much TV you can buy. And as you probably know from watching everybody's ads uh, in October of any given election year, you know, it's, there's a, after a while, no one's paying any attention because you've already done it. Um, so, I mean, I think it's a good thing if you don't have to worry too much about it, and maybe you don't have to worry as much as we used to. And um, pivoting, I guess, to more current events, uh, what, what do you think of currently how the Republican Party is dealing with uh, Liz Cheney, uh, the proposed removal from leadership positions for her? Um, I like Liz Cheney, um, and I think that uh, her politics in terms of the substance of the issues is probably pretty close to my own. So I'm um, not happy to see that uh, the, her, her likely removal, more than likely removal. On the other hand, I do think she's um, not been as politic as a politician should be. I mean, we are what, what we are as a coalition of a whole bunch of different voters. Um, and I, I think the leadership of the party ought to be leading the party and on not to be alienating um, big chunks of the party. And I think Liz Cheney clearly doesn't like the influence of Donald Trump on our party. And um, that's a perfectly defensible position, but if you want to hold a significant portion of the vote, I don't know that you go around saying that. Um, And I think if you take a look at the Democratic Party, uh, you know, Joe Manchin is not in charge of anything. Uh, they, you've got to have some kind of messaging as to, and you have to hold your people. And I think that Democrats are struggling um, to make sure that the left doesn't go off and become uh, uh, Bernie Sanders or whatever. And I think that they've, they've adopted whatever strategy they adopt to try to make sure they don't lose people there. And they end up sometimes saying, foolish things like defund the police or whatever it is, which of course we're very grateful for. Um, But they're trying to not lose. The only reason they're doing that is they're trying to not lose a chunk of people. Um, And I think that we in our party are trying not to lose a big chunk of our people. And I don't know that Liz has been um, focused on that. So where, where do you think the Republican Party is headed as a whole? And do you think it should be going in a different direction than where you think it is going? Um, I think that, uh, as we used to say, there's no there there. There's no, there isn't anyone in charge anyway of, of either party ever. And so um, I think the Democrats, at least some of my Democratic friends, uh, speak to me as if there's something called the Biden administration and as if Biden is in fact making decisions with respect to the Democratic Party. 
which I, of course, don't believe for a minute. I mean, I think there are a whole lot of different influences in the Democratic Party, and I don't think that Biden controls them or comes close to controlling them. Um, Trump, uh, I probably has more power in the Republican Party than any other person in terms of influence. And of course, you can get influence in, in primaries. I don't think I think if we had been running someone other than Trump in 2020, we would have won. Um, on the other hand, I think if we'd been running someone other than Trump in 2016, we would have lost. So, mm -hmm. so I, you know, I don't know. Um, but I think he's, there's just a lot of people who hate him. You may know some of them. <laughs> so it's, and, and so it's not, that's not a good candidate. And so it seems to me, we have to look around for a candidate at the top who, uh, isn't Trump, but who is attractive to people who like Trump um, and basically um, adopts Trump-like positions on a lot of the issues, which it seems to me are now the Republican Party's uh, issues. To some extent, the Democrats, in my view, are making mistakes now. I agree with James Carville. I think this woke stuff is great for me. And he thinks it's not great for him. And I think that's just obviously right. And critical race theory, I, we like to talk about that more than they do. Um, it's one of our favorite topics. If you want, because I'm just suspecting that neither of you do enough, turn on and watch Fox News from, you know, uh, eight o'clock to 11 o'clock on a, two or three nights in a row. and. Um, that's it, it's got great stuff in there and it's all designed to make the people who watch it um, really unhappy with uh, the positions of um, the left. The border, you want to talk about the border? It's a crisis. Do you think it's not a crisis? I, all of these. Anyway, I think all those issues cut our way. And I'm saying that mostly is, you know, do I want to win and, and do they help? But I actually think we ought to control our borders. I don't think we should be teaching the 1619 project. Um, I, I don't believe that people are ultimately the most important thing about them is their race. Um, and so, you know, I, and by the way, I don't think you should be cutting the police um, and police enforcement around the country. I was reading, I don't mean to waste your time. I was reading a very interesting uh, analysis of uh, the Democrats believe that the reason that murders are up in all of our cities has something to do with the pandemic. Um, and our guys, of course, are saying it has something to do with the Democrats' um, philosophy of enforcement, which is to say, don't, don't prosecute anybody and don't arrest anybody. Um, and yeah, I suppose either could be right, except the article I was reading. So, you know, curiously, everywhere else, uh, violent crime is down. London, Japan, France, Mexico, um, because in a pandemic, you might expect it to go down. People aren't going around murdering people, but it's up here. Um, and that makes a good ad, Peter. I just gave you a good ad. We'll be running that ad. Maybe not quite. Well, actually, we maybe we should run it. There's a district attorney's uh, primary coming up. What is it next week? So, but of course, that I don't care about that. They're Democrats. So, to hell with them.